Hi everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Mention Me. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business. And the results of harnessing brand advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable, organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm delighted to be joined today by John Pico, author of From Impressed to Obsessed and founder of Watermark Consulting. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Simeon. It's good to be here with you. So you're here today to talk about how brands can stop satisfying and start impressing their customers by creating exceptional experiences that keeps them coming back. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is John Pico. Um, I'm the founder of Watermark Consulting, which is a customer experience advisory firm, Uh, also a keynote speaker, as well as author of the book. Let me get my prop here. From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans. Uh, And basically what I help organizations do is to impress their customers and inspire their employees, creating the kinds of raving fans that drive business growth. Excellent. We'll certainly dive more into how we can create fans in in a little while. Um, Now, as tradition on this show, to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where, as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and really what that meant to you as a consumer as well. Yeah, so the example that I have for you here, um, you know, rather than mentioning any of the usual suspects, companies that I love like Apple, Amazon, Costco, Chewy, Starbucks, L.L. Bean, you know, all the usual suspects. I actually want to mention a company that I'm quite certain none of your listeners have ever heard of. Uh, And it's called Scott's Plumbing. Uh, It's going to sound, you know, decidedly not elegant. Uh, It is a plumbing business. But, uh, you know, when when we were preparing for for this uh, this interview and and you told me you wanted me to think of of a company that... um, that inspired customer love for me. Uh, that was the one that immediately came to my mind because this is a plumbing company that uh, I've worked with for a long time, and I happen to be working with them again right now on some renovation work in my home. Uh, and the reason that I, I love using this as an example for your listeners is because I think it's a great illustration that you don't have to be a Fortune 100 global brand, you know, with a giant marketing budget in order to inspire customer love. Uh, You know, what I love about Scott's Plumbing, which is this guy named Scott and his son, uh, is whenever I call Scott with an issue, a request, within minutes, I hear back from him. If it's a phone call or if it's an email, which in and of itself is amazing because this guy's like out on jobs, you know, during the day working, and yet he always manages to get back to me very promptly. Uh, When he's... When I hire him to do something and he says he's going to be there at 8 a.m. on Wednesday, he is there at 8 a.m. on Wednesday. And when he's done with the job, everything is immaculate when he leaves. And, you know, it's just an example to me of how just somebody, an organization that does what it says it's going to do uh, and, and does it when it says it's going to do it, um, that's extremely refreshing in a marketplace where that's rarely seen. 
you know, when I was researching, doing the research for my book, um, and I did some consumer polling, I came up with some really wild statistics that indicate how low the bar is set in the marketplace. Uh, you know, nearly half of consumers are not at all surprised when they have difficulty contacting someone at a business for assistance. And so if you think about how low the bar is set, you look at a company like Scott's Plumbing and what they're doing, I like to call it deviating from the script. You know, they are deviating from the traditional script that people tend to expect, in this case with home contractors, where, you know, people never get back to you. They never show up on time. They leave a place a mess when they leave. And he's doing something totally different. And that's the kind of thing that leaves an impression on people. And uh, it inspires customer love in me because it is a pleasure to work with Scott's Plumbing. Uh, and that's something that's hard to say, I find, with lots of other home contractors or businesses in general. So that would be my answer to you, Scott's Plumbing. <laughs> I love that example for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think it's such an underrated kind of um, area of, of customer love. I think if you're calling out someone like a plumber, you're, you could be in distress. You know, you might need something done quickly. And actually, that is a time where you really do need a little bit of customer love and, and a bit of support because it could be quite a stressful situation. And to your point as well, you don't have to be a multi-billion dollar company to be able to invoke this emotional connection. We're going to dive into that in more detail later in the episode. So that's yeah. a great example. Thank you very much for sharing that. Sure. Now, in your book, From Impressed to Obsessed, you talk about the difference between customer experience and customer service. And I'd love for you to elaborate on this because I'm sure in a lot of cases they get spoken about as being the same thing, but you're saying that they are distinctly different. Yes, uh, very much so. And, and you're right that in many organizations, I think that uh, the terms customer service and customer experience, sometimes even user experience, they can be used interchangeably. Uh, but they're definitely not synonymous. And, um, you know, the way that I would sort of frame it is customer experience, in my view, encompasses every live print or digital interaction point that sales prospects or customers could possibly stumble across when dealing with your business. Um, and, you know, that's the first reason why they're different. Most people think customer service, you never think of that relative to someone who's not a customer yet. But customer experience, the customer experience begins well before somebody's your customer. You know, it begins during the, the prospecting stage, the marketing stage. So that's one key difference. Uh, in the book, I use as an example Amazon's uh, incredible focus on the packaging of the products that they send to people uh, and their innovation of frustration-free packaging to create packaging that's easy for people to open up and get to the products that they bought. Here again, is it that they viewed that as a key part of their customer experience. Nobody would view that as customer service. You know, so it again illustrates how there's this whole universe of interaction points that are outside of traditional service interactions that nonetheless really do help to shape people's perceptions about the company that they're working with. Uh, and, um, and so the other thing I would say is, you know, customer service is really but one part of the end-to-end -end customer experience. Uh, and it's an important part, but it's not the only part. The other thing I would add to really illustrate the difference between the two concepts is that the mere need for customer service could actually indicate a problem with the broader customer experience. So if you think about it, in many industries, the best kind of service is the kind you never need. 
you know, because everything just worked perfectly up front uh, at the beginning. And so if you have a situation where you're in a business where there's a lot of need for customer service, that often indicates that there's an issue upstream. Maybe the salespeople are not managing expectations well when they're bringing new customers on board. Maybe customers are getting billing statements or account statements that are incomprehensible, and so they've got to pick up the phone and, and, and call you and, and try to help you fi- uh, help them figure it out. So that is the other key difference, and that's why I think organizations that think of those two things as synonymous are really headed in the wrong direction. Because you need to think broadly about customer experience if you want to deliver great customer service in the long run. Because sometimes the issues that are undermining your customer service, they happen long before you know somebody's even really a customer. Uh, and so that's how I would describe the key difference between those two concepts. That's so interesting. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit there, but I'd just like you to maybe emphasize it a little bit more. What are the the issues of companies not kind of clearly distinguishing the difference between the two? What kind of issues could they run into if they don't do that properly? Yeah, so I think that, you know, the most common issue is you'll have companies that embark on an effort effort to create uh, excellent customer service. Um, And so the ingredients that they would tend to see with that sort of narrowly focused objective, they'll be thinking in terms of, well, what platform should we use for customers to access us? Should it be text? Should it be chat? Should it be phone? Um, They'll be thinking about how do we compress our average handle times or our call wait times or our chat wait times when people need service. So their heads are going to all of these ways that you make the service experience better. But that is sub-optimizing the whole endeavor because this isn't just about an exercise in how do you make the service interaction better. It should be an exercise in how do you make the service interaction go away entirely. Um, And when you think about it in those terms, that requires looking at other parts of the experience to figure out how do you preempt, how do you obviate the need for customers to contact you in the first place. And so that, I would say, is an example of how that misstep manifests itself, is that companies get laser focused on how do I make the service interaction better? without opening their eyes to the idea of, hey, you know what, there might be a way to make that service interaction go away entirely. And in many industries, that's actually a better experience for the customer because they they don't want to have to contact their insurance provider or their bank or their utility provider. But in addition, it actually allows you to deliver a better customer experience at a lower cost. Because if you as a company are able to obviate the need for many types of service inquiries, uh, in essence, what you're doing is delivering a better experience and you're able to do it at a more competitive cost because the stress on your operating infrastructure is reduced because you're seeing fewer inquiries come in. That's really, really interesting. I think actually leads nicely into our next topic here. So um, we've had a few guests on the show talk about this difference between a repeat customer and a loyal customer. So if you're a repeat customer... You may be just coming back because you've got the best price or the store's in the best location. But as soon as a better option comes up, you'll jump ship. Whereas true loyalty, the phrase that keeps coming up time and time again is this emotional connection. And that seems to be the key ingredient to, to keeping your customers through thick and thin. That example about Scott's plumbing at the start, I loved. And I think that if you're probably given the option between maybe a slightly different 
offering and Scott's Plumbing, I wouldn't mind betting that you'd stick with Scott's Plumbing because of right. the experience. Even a cheaper you... offering, even a slightly cheaper offering, I would forego to deal Ex- with Scott. You're right. Exactly. So with that, I'd love to understand how can any business, whether it's Scott's Plumbing or whether it's Amazon, create an emotional connection with their customers, regardless of the products they're selling and the industry they're in, so they can start building more meaningful relationships with their customers? Yes. So uh, to answer that question, I think let's take a step back first and just talk about why infusing emotion into the customer experience is even important. Because people in in our industry, they, they throw around the term of, you know, the importance of emotional resonance and building loyalty and whatnot. And I think people throw that term around, but don't really understand the nuts and bolts of why emotion is so important. And the reason I would argue that it's important, it gets to... Uh, the notion that great customer experiences are really an exercise in memory shaping. Uh, You know, I would argue that how people remember their experience with a company is even more important than the experience itself. And the reason I say that is because it is people's recollection of the experience that is really going to drive their future behaviors, their repurchase and their referral behavior. And so if you want to derive competitive advantage from the customer experience that you're delivering, uh, you really need to not just create an experience that people enjoy in the moment. You need to create an experience that they're going to remember fondly long into the future. And so if you look at the memory, if you, if you look at the, the realm of memory science and how we form memories and what causes us to remember certain things over other things, One of the things that you find is that emotion is a memory cue uh, and that experiences that are laced with emotion are far more memorable than those that are not. Um, And this is, for example, why you find that people have seared into their memory, uh, you know, where they were, what they were doing when they heard about intensely tragic events, you know, whether it's 9-11, for example, or the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger, whatever it was. But it also works with intensely positive events. So you find people have very, very vivid memories of maybe the day they got married, the day the first child was born, the day they won the big sports championship. And so the reason this is relevant to the world of customer experience is that if you're trying to derive competitive advantage from customer experience, what that really means is you want people to remember their interaction with you over all other providers. And so you would be remiss if you didn't use the power of emotion to really create that indelible impression in people's heads that drives their future behavior. And so that is my explanation for why infusing emotion into the experience, that's why it helps to cultivate loyalty, because it's really generating those those indelible impressions and those long-term memories. Now, going to your question, well, how can any business actually create that kind of emotion and that connection? Uh, There are two ways to do it. Um, One is to accentuate positive emotion. Uh, And, um, you know, that's basically making people feel good or special in some way. Uh, And uh, there are many ways to accomplish that. Um, You can uh, celebrate milestones with your customers when they achieve some personal milestone or some milestone with your business. You can give them a pat on the back, make them feel good about that. In essence, that goodness that they're feeling, it rubs off a little bit on you. And they start to then look at your company as sort of a a key ingredient in those positive feelings that they're experiencing. They associate you with that. Um, But 
where many people sort of miss the boat on stirring emotion is they think that this is just about accentuating positive emotion, but it's not. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 uh, I often get the example thrown at me. People are like, hey, my business isn't Disney World. You know, it's not like people are excited and enthusiastic to, to come to my business already. So how do I stir positive emotion if I work in a boring business like banking or financial services or insurance or whatever? And the answer is that it's not just about accentuating positive emotion. It's also about mitigating negative emotion. That is another way to infuse the experience with compelling emotion that helps create those long-term memories. You mentioned in the plumbing example that sometimes you call a plumber when you're in a position of vulnerability, right? You've got a leak in your house. It's maybe coming down the ceiling or whatnot. There's a lot of negative emotion and anxiety that's wrapped up in that experience. You're wondering, when is somebody going to get, get out here to help me? How am I going to you know, clean this all up? How's it going to get fixed? So when you have a plumber, as an example, that is super responsive, is immediately able to get back, get back to you, tell you what to do maybe in an emergency situation, and then like follow up by actually coming to your site promptly... Uh, Think about the negative emotion and anxiety that that mitigates when you've got a reliable resource that's, in essence, you know, reaching a hand down into that pit of despair that you are in and helping to pull you out. That is an emotionally resonant experience. It has nothing to do with accentuating positive emotion. It's about taking negative emotions off the table. And so that's the other way that businesses can stir emotion is think of all the anxieties and worries that your customers or your sales prospects might be harboring, might be shouldering as they interact with you. And if you can engineer your customer experience in a way that takes many of those negative emotions and worries off the table you will in totality be instilling sort of this compelling emotion into the experience that's going to make people enjoy it in the moment and remember it fondly over the long term. I love that. And, and everything you were saying there really, I guess, builds up to this idea of if you're delivering these kind of experiences, you're going to be turning your customers into super fans. I'd love to get from you, in your opinion, why you think it's crucial for businesses to be able to identify and nurture their super fans and not just their biggest spenders. So again, with coming back to Scott's Plumbing, again, they're getting a lot of airtime on this podcast, by the way. I probably should uh, <laughs> get some kind of sponsorship. But, um, but you know, the point that you've come on yeah. and, and we're talking about them, you might not necessarily be Scott's biggest spender, but I wonder how many people that listen to this podcast now in the US might start dialing up and, and sort of getting some more custom that right. way. So I'd love to just yeah, yeah I'd love to get into the nuts and bolts of why you think it's so important for fan, uh, for companies to be able to identify their fans. Yeah, and I'm going to have to send this uh, when we when, when the podcast airs. I'm going to have to send it to Scott. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, let's use them as another example because I think it is a perfect example of this. It's not like it's not like I've got a million plumbing projects that are going on at any one time. It's not like I've got, you know, a 10,000 person business and a huge office complex that requires all these plumbing services. So I'm not the biggest spender in Scott's portfolio, most certainly, but boy, I would definitely argue that I'm probably, uh, you know, one of his greatest advocates shouting from the rooftops, telling other people about this plumbing company, uh, you know, whether it's an interior designer that I work with, whether it's a neighbor, um, whoever it is. And so, uh, 
that has a lot of value for a business. When you've got those, you call them super fans. I like to call them promoters in, in net promoter, uh, you know, vernacular. Um, but the people who are out there that are your raving fans, even if they are not spending a whole lot of money with you, which isn't because they don't like you. It just might be the circumstances that they have, the projects they have underway, their needs. But even though they're not spending a lot, you want to nurture those relationships because there's tremendous value that they are bringing to the table, maybe not in the products and services that they're purchasing from you, for purchasing from you, but certainly from the referrals that they are making and the people that they are pointing to you, which from which you are deriving entirely new revenue streams, which if you think about it, if the, the economic calculus, you could link those revenue streams to those people who are who are referring those new customers to you. And that's really one way to calculate the lifetime value, if you will, uh, of a customer. So that's why I think it is so important to, um, uh, to really nurture those promoters, those super fans. I think it's also a great illustration of how the act of gauging the the uh, of gauging customer sentiment that shouldn't just be an exercise in measuring the health of your customer relationships it should actually be an exercise in shaping those relationships and what i mean by that is it behooves a business to know who are my super fans who are my promoters and then conversely who are my detractors because you actually might want to engage with those people in a different way if you know that you've got a promoter on your hands, a super fan, you might be more likely to engage in a conversation with them saying, hey, you know, we love referrals. We get most of our business from referrals. If there's somebody that you can think of that would benefit from our products and services, please let them know. And then conversely, if you've got somebody that's a detractor, a hater, based on your customer surveys, whatever sentiment, you know, uh, instruments you're using to gauge the health of the relationship, you're going to want to engage that person differently than you would a promoter. You know, if you've got a detractor on your hands, a known detractor, you want to think about how can I go above and beyond for that individual to start to turn the tide of their sentiment, to get them to rethink maybe these perceptions that they formed about my business and maybe entertain new ideas that, hey, we're different now. We're better maybe than you thought we were. Um, and so that's why I think, uh, you know, those are just among the reasons why I think it's really important to know who your fans are uh, and to cultivate them and nurture them carefully. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I guess just to kind of um, wrap things up, I suppose one of the challenges that businesses will probably have with this is being able to measure the success of harnessing their fans because it's not always as kind of tangible as, as, as other methods. So in your experience, um, how have you seen businesses kind of successfully measure the impact that activating and nurturing their fans has had on their company? Yeah. So, you know, first, I think the first way to think about that is at a macroeconomic level and to think, you know, broadly in aggregate, what is the evidence that a great customer experience and that creating intense loyalty and customer love, what is the evidence that that is driving financial results? And the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of evidence, uh, you know, and, and in, my, in my book, I've got a number of examples uh, of that. Um, the one that I love the most is, I'm a little biased here, it's from my own company, but it's a study that we do every couple years called the Watermark Consulting Customer Experience ROI Study. Uh, and it was actually the first analysis that demonstrated a connection between the quality of customer experience and shareholder returns. 
and so if you look, we've got 13 years of data under our belt in this analysis, and the companies that lead in customer experience, they outperform those that lag by an over three to one ratio in shareholder return. Uh, and you know, you just look at the graphic that illustrates that, and you say to yourself, wow, there's something here. And what's really driving that difference in shareholder return is that those companies are more valuable when they're delivering that great customer experience. Why? Because they see a lift in revenues, because they're retaining people better. Uh, when customers love you, they entertain ideas for other products and services from you. Um, they're less price sensitive, as I am with Scott, because you're not focusing on the, the cost of a particular transaction. You're thinking of the value of the whole relationship that you have. Uh, and then, of course, they're referring other customers to you. So you derive new revenues from those new customers, helps to boost revenues. But then it also helps to control, if not reduce, expenses. And I'll give you a few examples why. Uh, because you're getting so many referrals from your existing customers, you don't need to spend as much on new business acquisition, on marketing, on advertising. That helps you to reduce expenses. In addition, you get fewer complaints when your customers love you. And if your complaints are going down, it puts less stress on your operating infrastructure, helps you to reduce the cost to serve. So that's why you see companies that do this well. They're really improving their profitability uh, and generating more shareholder uh, uh, value. And that's why you see their, their stock prices, you know, on average, just outperform their peers. But then if you want to go to a microeconomic level, and ask yourself, well, in a particular organization, how do we quantify it? You know, there are a couple of ways that you could do it. One is looking at the customer lifetime value of your super fans, of your promoters. Um, you know, if you've got the instruments to actually calculate that in your organization, any company that I've seen do this, if they calculate the lifetime value of the promoters for, of their brand versus the detractors, you immediately see, immediately see what the value is of a great customer experience. And the value of that quantification is it actually almost gives you a number that you can use to figure out how much should we be investing in this? Because what is the payoff if you look at that disparity between the lifetime value of the promoters uh, and the detractors? Um, the other thing that I find that companies can do, and, and this isn't too, too difficult to implement, is make sure you know where new business is coming from. Uh, you know, even if it's as simple as, you know, depending on the nature of your business, whether it's online, you're asking a question online, if it's live and it's a salesperson asking the question, just asking the question, how did you hear about us? You know, was it an advertisement? Was it a referral? Oh, it was a referral. Who referred you? Because we love to thank those people that do that. When you start collecting that kind of data, at the very least, you could get a sense of what proportion of your business is coming through referrals. Which, boy, I mean, that is the ultimate demonstration of customer love. I mean, forget about what I said on a survey. If I'm actually referring someone to you, if I'm putting my reputation on the line, saying, yes, yeah, Scott's Plumbing is where it's at, that indicates a lot of customer love. Um, and so looking at just the proportion of business that comes from referrals, and then if you can actually zero it down, narrow it down to who are the customers that are referring uh, others to us, that's another way to really look at their lifetime value to your business, not only the products they're purchasing, but all the people that they're directing towards you. So, yeah, I think when you start to really dive into the economics of it, um, it's, it's very compelling uh, and it is hard to ignore um, the value that a great customer experience delivers to any business. What a great way to finish. John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. 
Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.